Thank you, Sarah. Well, good morning. Welcome to Chapel Street Church South Street Campus. It's good to be uh, back with you in person today. Um, I have trouble seeing everybody through the camera at Kesslinger, um, but it's great to be here with you. And thank you for understanding that uh, I need to divide my attention a little bit on Sundays between here and Kesslinger campus uh, during this season, since I haven't yet figured out how to be in two places at the same time. Working on that one. Uh, Today you may have noticed when you came in, uh, the purple balloons out in the lobby, we are celebrating the ministry that we call Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, we've been involved for 20 years. This will be the 21st year with Royal Family. And you'll see a video a little bit later uh, in the service today that explains that ministry a little bit better and invites you to be part of it if you uh, are so called. And then you'll have a chance to visit with some of the representatives in the lobby following today's service. Having said those things, please stand with me for our call to worship. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His command they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted, and His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Praise Praise the Lord. As we come to a time of prayer as a church family, let me just mention a couple of things to you today. Uh, I had a call from uh, Julie Danielson, whose mother is Andrea Danielson, longtime member here at Chapel Street, uh, that her mother Andrea is now in, under hospice care at River Glen Memory Care in St. Charles. Uh, you might remember that Barry, her husband, uh, went to be with the Lord just about five months ago, and so we'll be in in prayer especially for Andrea uh, during these days and for her family as well. And also, uh, you may not be aware that Naomi Moore, the 16-year-old daughter of Pastor Sterling Moore and his wife Sherry, underwent uh, major surgery this past week, a planned surgery to uh, repair or correct uh, her uh, scoliosis and her spine. Uh, And it was a long six or seven hour surgery. She faces a, a week in the hospital Uh, with uh, therapy and pain management and then a month out of school as she recovers and regains her strength. So I let Sterling know we would be praying for Naomi uh, today and then on going through the week. So please remember her in your prayers as well. So let's bow in prayer. Abba Father, worthy of praise. Holy Jesus, worthy of praise. Great Redeemer, worthy of praise. You are our Alleluia. We thank you for meeting us here today as we worship by your Spirit. We thank you that you invite us to come to you as our Father in prayer. We thank you that we can trust that uh, you hear our prayers. You hear the prayers that we say out loud. You hear the prayers that we pray silently. And you hear the prayers that we don't really have words for. So we thank you for that today. Lord, we uh, lift up to you, uh, Andrea, uh, during these days, um, the end of life days, and we thank you for her life, and we thank you for um, her family. We ask that you would be merciful, and that you would care for her, and that you would bring comfort uh, to Julie and 
and Debbie and the whole uh, extended family during these days. Let Andrea know your great love for her and the great hope we have in your promises. Lord, we also pray for Naomi. Uh, she goes through this, uh, this surgery planned, but yet uh, traumatic for a 16-year-old. Uh, we ask, of course, for success in, in the procedure. Uh, we uh, pray for uh, pain management for her, for that the therapy in these early days would be effective, and that you would, you would grant her a, a patience maybe beyond her years for this next month when she's out of school and, and trying to get her strength back. Uh, ask you to minister peace and comfort to her mom and dad, uh, Sterling and Sherry, and to her sisters, uh, because this affects all of them during these days. So thank you again for your care for her. Lord, we also want to lift up uh, our Pastor Jeff to you and his family. We thank you for the work that you are doing in his life and that you will do. We pray especially that he would know the depth of your love for him, that he would trust the work of your spirit. We ask you to surround his family with the love and support of their church family during this difficult time. Lord, uh, you are the God who redeems. Uh, we know you as and trust you as the God who heals and the God who restores. So we just ask you to help us put our trust fully in you. And for all these things, we give you our thanks, and it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. I remember when I was uh, like five or six years old, I told my adopted parents, I told them that, you know, I don't need any friends and I'm not going to make any friends because I, you know, I didn't want to get hurt. Hi, I'm Jen Lindsay. I've been serving for Royal Family Kids Camp for 20 years. Royal Family Kids is a camp for kids in foster care, usually in at-risk homes. A lot of kids in the foster care system have trust issues, have issues um, bonding with other people. A lot of it has to do with moving from home to home. It has to do with abuse that they've experienced. My parents weren't able to take care of me around the age of three, three and a half. I got sent out to the foster care system and I went through you know, a series of four or five different families before I found the family I'm with now. So I was in the foster care system from the ages of three to eight, and I was a part of Royal Family Kids Camp from, you know, the earliest you can go, five years old, till all the way throughout high school. Something I really enjoyed about the camp was the relationships you build with the counselors. Um, you know, you have all these fun activities. You go to the lake, uh, go fishing, go canoeing, spend the day at the beach, whatever it is. but. Um, all that stuff was fun, but the most impactful part for me was definitely the relationship I ended up having with some of these counselors, and like, I felt like I was a valuable person. I felt like I was loved by these people, and I just felt like they were just my family and they were my friends. I could tell that these people were people that I trusted, and I could tell that they were people that cared for me. After I wasn't able to come to the camps anymore, I was like, well, I need to go as a counselor just you know, to make the same impact to these kids that the counselors then made on me. A lot of our counselors that were campers, that's one of the reasons they come back. They're like, camp was my consistent place in my life. No matter what happened in my life, I knew that I had camp. And now that I'm an adult, I 
want to do the same for someone else. I want to show them that no matter what happens in their lives, that there's camp. You know, I'm just trying to be, be a light to them, and I'm trying to like show them the true hope um, through the gospel. Every camp of Royal Family, we do something called I Saw God. So at the end of camp, we say, who saw God today? And we go around and kids share stories of the day and how they saw God. So it's kind of a twofold to show them that God has been in every single aspect of camp and in their lives. A time to reflect on what they've been doing at camp and just a way to show all the goodness that God has in their lives. I think sometimes, especially for these kids, they have a hard time seeing the good. That's why we send home the photo album so that when they are at home and they're in, going through rough times, they can remember the positive memories that we provided for them, but also know that camp is coming again. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service and as Jen mentioned in the video, uh, this June will mark our 21st uh, year of being involved with Royal Family Kids Camp as a church. Uh, and during that time, RFKC has uh, moved and grown from just elementary school kids at camp to middle school and then high school and even beyond. And now alumni from that camp are coming back as counselors, as you heard in the video. And over those 20 years, hundreds of chapel streeters have been involved as counselors in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and we want to invite you to uh, have the opportunity as well. Uh, this year, our camp is scheduled for June 9th through the 14th, uh, and you are invited to consider roles, everything from a counselor to a grandparent to an activity coordinator, nurse, or all kinds of other roles. So um, if you are interested in being involved this year, and there'll be about 50 uh, kids involved, just stop by the kiosk in the lobby where the big purple balloons in the shape of, a star, of stars are, and they can answer any questions you might have, and we hope that many of you will be able to get involved as royal family again this year. Well, I'm not the um, biggest country music fan, um, although I don't mind country music, but uh, I recently came across a country song uh, by a singer named Jaron Lowenstein, who I'd never heard of before, but I paid attention because of the, of the title of the song. It's called Pray For You. Here are the lyrics. Let me read it to you. I wish I could sing it, but I'm not going to try. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. Can I get an amen? Right? Amen. <laughs> he said you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. So far, so good. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. All right. Now here comes the prayer. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. That's a little bit dark. Uh, I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Okay. I'm not sure I want that guy praying for me, right? Well, we, as you know, are in a series called Praying with Paul. And we've seen that Paul's prayers are nothing like uh, that country song. We've looked at three of his prayers so far, two from his letters to the Ephesians and one last week from Colossians. 
And all three of these prayers so far were written from a prison situation, a time of pain and suffering for the apostle himself. But all three are just filled with encouragement, if you've been tracking along. He wants his readers uh, and us to know the glorious riches of God's grace, he says. Uh, to know the vastness of the love of Christ. To be filled with the fullness of God. To know the will of God. And today we'll look at yet another letter, uh, also written from prison. This one to the Philippian church. Now, we're going to see that Paul had a, had a very unique relationship with this church, and I'm going to give you a little background so that you can kind of get a feel for why that was true. Philippi was a city that located in what we would call northern Greece. Actually, that's, that's the wrong image she has in there. I should have noticed that. Uh, if you, that's Turkey you see up there, what was called Asia Minor, but just across the body of water where you see Athens, just north of there uh, is the area we're talking about, and Philippi was located there. The area at that time was called Macedonia. Acts chapter 16 uh, tells us a long story about Paul's first contact in the city of Philippi. He had been traveling with his friend Silas, preaching the gospel and, and uh, planting churches all throughout what we would call Turkey or Asia Minor or Macedonia. And he has a vision um, of a man from Macedonia, Greece, calling him to come over and help them. And the Holy Spirit leads Paul and Silas to leave Asia and go across the water, sail across to what is actually Europe, actually northern Greece. And once he lands in Philippi, we're told that he finds a, a, a small group of women uh, at, at praying together, worshiping together near a river. There wasn't evidently enough Jewish people, or weren't enough Jewish people in the city to have a synagogue. So they're just worshiping uh, by, by a river by themselves. Paul finds them, he shares the gospel of Jesus with them, and one of them, a woman named Lydia, who, is, uh, t- who we are told is a, a dealer in purple cloth, successful businesswoman, she comes to faith, and her entire family, and they are all baptized. The very next thing that happens is that Paul comes across a slave girl who's possessed by a demon and is being used by men to make money, and Paul delivers her through the power of the Holy Spirit, but her, her traffickers, her owners, become very angry because they've lost their source of income, and so they stir up a mob that attacks Paul and has, uh, has Paul and Silas arrested. Uh, they are then stripped of their clothing, Acts chapter 16 tells us this, beaten with rods, thrown into prison, and their feet are put in stocks, which was an ancient form of torture. The third event happens that night, Uh, midnight in prison. Uh, Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praying together in stocks, having been beaten with rods. An earthquake hits, the prison doors fly open, all the prisoners' chains fall off, and the doors doors are opened. The jailkeeper is terrified because he knows he will be held accountable for this, so he's going to take his own life. But Paul says to him, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. The jailer senses something supernatural is taking place, so he begs Paul, what must I do to be saved? It's a famous story. And Paul then says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The jailer comes to faith and is baptized along with his whole family. And the church in Philippi is born just like that. Starts meeting in Lydia's house, and it's actually the first Christian church on the continent of Europe. Acts chapter 16 tells that whole story. 
Paul is forced then to leave the city because he's still not welcome there. But over the next few years, he maintains a relationship with the Philippian church. He visits them at least once. He sends Timothy to them at some point to be with them. And later, when Paul is imprisoned in Rome, the Philippian church sends a man named Epaphroditus with a generous financial gift uh, to care for him and minister to him. And Paul later uses their great generosity as a model for other churches that he has planted. So now we know Paul is writing from prison in this letter because we read in Philippians chapter 1, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he's in prison, in chains. Now he doesn't even know if he's going to survive because the next thing we see that he says, uh, and still in Philippians chapter 1, is he writes, oops, i got to find this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he's in prison, he's in chains, he doesn't know if he's going to survive, and even under those circumstances, he prays for the Philippians. And here's the prayer we want to look at today, beginning in verse 3, chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The first thing I think we notice here is that Paul prays a prayer of joy. It's a prayer of joy, even from a prison cell. Uh, last week, Lorene was uh, cleaning up something in her basement, uh, and I don't know exactly what you were doing, cleaning it up, but she came across, tucked away in a desk we have down there, a couple of old little photo albums. Remember these? When we actually had to print out pictures, they weren't on our phones or our computers. And uh, I, we, we started to look through them, and all the pictures were from um, the fall, September of 1994, on the day that I was installed here uh, as the senior pastor. And how many of you remember the sanctuary when it looked like that, with the dark wood up front, and giant pulpit? Remember that? Uh, well, this was that day, 1994. My dad actually delivered the sermon that day, a special treat. He was actually younger there than I am now. <laughs> Not that funny, but... <laughs> special treat. Uh, they evidently let me say a few things. Check out the hair. How many remember the mustache? Never coming back, but it was there. Um, it was actually also um, the day we dedicated what we call then the Family Life Center. We call it now the Student Center. 
Um, and so it was the same day. It's the installation, dedication of the Family Life Center. had the big reception in there. And there were basketball hoops at the time at each end. And someone found a basketball that day and got everybody's attention and said, asked me to shoot the first basket in the noon gym. And I said, no, 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 I, it's not the time for that. They insisted, took off my jacket. You see, I'm standing right at center court. I took one shot, and it went straight in the basket. I'm not kidding. It went straight in, and it was this huge celebration erupted, like it was a sign from the heavens. And I, <laughs> and I got this big hug, and that's Dick Walls. And if you knew Dick, he was a hugger. And evidently, I hugged back, so that's what it looks like there. But we looked at those photos, and we were filled with this deep sense of, of joy. Not just because it was a meaningful day for us as a family, but remembering people. We started to look at the people in all the pictures, many of whom are, not, are, are with the Lord today, and the deep sense of joy. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I pray with joy. Now, this is interesting to me because his time in Philippi was not altogether pleasant sometimes. I mean, attacked by a mob, beaten with rods, feet put in stocks, but that's not how he remembers most of all. Later in the letter, we know there were other problems Paul had to deal with. In Philippians 2, uh, 3, we read, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now he's talking about those who were confusing the believers in Philippi uh, with telling them that faith in Jesus was not enough, that they had to also follow Jewish customs and, and Jewish traditions like circumcision and food laws. And then later in chapter 3, we read, For as I have often told you before, and now I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Now it's unclear here if he's talking about people in the church or outside the church, but there were some who rejected the gospel completely. In Philippians 4, we read, he says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Evidently, there were two women in the church in Philippi, believers, followers of Jesus, who were in some kind of conflict with each other, so much so that Paul called them out by name. How would you like to have your name forever in God's Word because you were having a conflict you couldn't, you couldn't fix? Well, Paul wanted them to deal with that. But what we see here is that's still not how he remembers it. He remembers not problems, not pain, but he remembers them with joy. Why? Well, first, because joy is not what we often think it is. Joy, at least biblically speaking, is not rooted in our circumstances at all. Rather, it's rooted in and a byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul's joy comes from what he says next. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what does he mean by partnership in the gospel? The word translated partnership is the great Greek word koinonia. You probably recognize that. It's usually translated as fellowship, the sharing of life together. Acts chapter 2 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and prayer. But koinonia can also mean a contribution or participation in. And we'll come back to those words in just a minute. 
So what does Paul mean by gospel? In his own words, Romans chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And then he explains more in his letter to the Corinthians when he writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the gospel, the good news, is that in Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise of salvation. That by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are born again into a new spiritual life with a new heart through the riches of God's grace, the forgiveness of sin, with new identity by being adopted into his family, new purpose to be part of the body of Christ in the world, making his kingdom known, being witnesses for him as lights in a dark place, and having a new destiny. That is, we will reign and serve with Christ forever in the new heaven and new earth. That's the gospel according to Paul. Now the Philippian believers believed that, and they shared, Paul says, in the ministry of the gospel. They were partners. Next, he says they also shared or were partners through generosity. In Philippians 4, we read, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once, when I was in need. Here Paul is talking about how on a number of occasions this little church in Philippi expressed their love and care for him personally by sending him financial gifts to sustain him when he had nothing and was thrown in prison. In this way they shared in his suffering for the gospel. So this partnership, this fellowship then produces a great kind of warmth and genuine affection. Listen to his words. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And that word affection there, in English, that, that's a nice word, but it, the word in Greek is stronger than that. Uh, it, 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 it's a word that points to the deepest seats of emotion in our lives. What well, we might say, fire in the belly or passion. Now, we don't typically think of Paul as being a, a warm, fuzzy kind of guy. You know, brilliant, fiercely intelligent, bold, courageous, fearless. But here we see the depth of love in his heart for these people in Philippi. The depth of his gratitude and love for his brothers and sisters. And then Paul says he prays not only with joy, but with confidence. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So what is the good work that God has begun here? I think Paul is thinking of two dimensions of that work. 
First, I think he's thinking of the good work God began in the Philippian church. Three very unlikely people. There was Lydia, an affluent businesswoman. There was a, a slave girl who was possessed by a demon. That's about as different as you can get. And then this hardened Roman jailer. And with that tiny beginning, the church in Philippi was born, and we now read about this church 2,000 years later. Made me think about this church. Many of you know some of the history of Chapel Street, formerly First Baptist Church of Geneva, formerly the First Swedish Baptist Church of Geneva, founded 130 years ago this fall by 10 Swedish immigrants with no church building, no budget, and no pastor. Just 10 Swedish immigrants that wanted to meet together to worship God and to uh, teach the Bible and the gospel as best as they knew how. They could never have imagined what their little group would become 130 years later. Nor can we begin to imagine what God will do with this group 130 years from now unless Jesus comes back again. Secondly, I think Paul's thinking about the work God began in individual believers. A work that begins with the gospel of salvation and then continues through the work of the Holy Spirit and what we call sanctification, that is simply spiritual growth, becoming more like Christ, and then will be completed one day when Jesus returns, and that's called glorification. So what God began, he's going to finish. Think of it this way. Any of you have any unfinished projects in or around your home or apartment? You know, like a half reorganized closet or a half reorganized basement or attic. You know, we, we tend to have unfinished projects sometimes. Or how about, um, or when I've, like when I've traveled in the developing, developing parts of the world, particularly Latin America or Africa, Asia, uh, one of the things you see quite often is, is homes that are left half finished, like this. Dozens of them, hundreds of them, street after street you'll see where someone got started building a home or a building and then, for whatever reason, ran out of resources. Maybe there were no more concrete blocks available. Maybe they ran out of money. And you see these homes over and over again, just unfinished. Or how about things in your life that you started, but, you know, just didn't complete? I took piano lessons uh, for seven years. My mom started me in second grade. Took them all the way to ninth grade, but somewhere in ninth grade, I decided to quit piano because I didn't think it was cool to my, you know, my buddies. So I quit. A few years later, when I was in college, I discovered that there were a lot of girls that thought guys who played piano were very cool. <laughs> I just couldn't play anymore. Here's how Paul talks about his own spiritual journey. Listen to these words, Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now here's what I notice in all of this. Very often... I think I find myself praying this way, and I I hear people pray this way, that we pray asking God to do work for us. 
And what he offers here to do and promises to do is to do work in us. You see the difference? We ask God to do things for us, to change our circumstances, to make things better, to help us in this way or that way, and he's offering and promising to work in us. And here's his promise. He is going to finish what he started in you. So Paul prays with joy. Secondly, we see here he prays for growing love. He prays for growing love. One of the books we read to our children when they were small is this little book called Guess How Much I Love You. And if you have this little book at home for your kids or grandkids, I found this one here. And I, I, Is this our original copy? I think it might be. It looks like it's been chewed on. There's, there's teeth marks up here in the corner. But it's a story about, uh, uh, kind of a, about rabbits, a parent rabbit and a child rabbit, and they're just telling each other how much they love each other. The child rabbit says, I love you this much, and stretches his little arms out. And the parent rabbit says, I love you this much, and can stretch much wider. The child rabbit says, I, I love you this much, and reaches up. The parent rabbit says, I love you this much, and can reach even higher. Then they jump, and they do all this stuff, and they go all on and on, until finally uh, the child rabbit says, I love you to the moon. And then the parent rabbit says, I love you to the moon and back. And as we read that book over the years with our, our boys over and over and over again, it turned into eventually kind of a love competition. You know, we'd go from the moon to the sun to the stars. And I remember, I don't remember which boy it was, but um, at one point he was thinking hard trying to, trying to win the love competition. And he thought of the, like the furthest place he could possibly think of. It was where his grandparents lived. So he said, I love you all the way to North Dakota, he said. <laughs> Paul says this, verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays for their Love. And the word he uses is agape, that great word used most often in the Bible to describe the love of God himself, a love that is unconditional, unchanging, a love that's a covenant, sacred, promised love. Paul prays that their love will abound more and more, that it will grow. And the word abound means to overflow, it means over and above, it means a surplus. Remember what he prayed for the Ephesians back in Ephesians chapter 3 a couple weeks ago? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, agape, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So Paul is praying that that same love, the boundless love of Christ, would fill us, fill our hearts to overflowing so it would flow out of us and into, onto others. Those in our lives, those in our families, those in the church, those outside the church, to those like us, to those unlike us, to those who love us back, and to those who don't. That we'd be filled to that love, overflowing. Paul prays that their love would abound more and more. And we think, okay, good, that's good. It's good to love, it's good to love more. But then notice what he says next. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Now, why does Paul add knowledge and insight 
to love. The word he uses here for knowledge is not the ordinary Greek word for knowledge. It has a, has a prefix on it, and it, it intensifies the word and adds a sense of wisdom. It's not just knowing things. It's, it's the wisdom of knowing how to do things. And the word translated insight here is unique. It's the only time in the entire Bible that this particular word is used, and it means insight or discernment. So what do wisdom and discernment have to do with love? Think about the love of parent for a child for a moment. My wife and I love our children, but when they were young, and if one of them wanted to eat you know, 19 chocolate chip cookies before dinner, we'd say no. Right? When one of them got a speeding ticket a couple days after getting his license for the first time, we forgave him uh, because we loved him, but we also took away his license for a week because we loved him. See, as parents, we teach our children, we set boundaries for them, and sometimes we say no. Not because we don't love them, but because we do love them. Love discerns what is best, Paul says. Paul is saying that love, while it certainly is a feeling, an emotion, and he feels it deeply for the Philippians, that's what he said earlier, I have you in my heart, I long for you, he says. He feels that love, but it's also more than a feeling. The love he's talking about is an action. In the great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Love, agape, is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So Paul prays that their love, that kind of love, would grow more and more and that their love would help them to discern what is best. And the third thing we see in this prayer is a pray, that it's a prayer for, for fruit. A prayer for fruit. Verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul wraps up his prayer with two thoughts. First, that the Philippians would be pure and blameless till the day of Christ. Now Paul believed with everything in him and the entire New Testament teaches that Jesus is going to return to establish his eternal kingdom in the new heaven and new earth. And this hope is what sustained Paul during the darkest days of his imprisonment and his torture and his suffering. And he wants that hope to sustain the Philippians and us as well. And between now and then, he says, I want you to be pure and blameless. Now, pure doesn't mean perfect here. That's how we tend to read it. Pure means unmixed or uncontaminated that their faith in Christ would not be mixed with other beliefs or philosophies. And blameless that they would trust the grace and forgiveness of Jesus all the way until he comes again or they go to be with him. And then second, he says that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. In other words, that the work of the gospel, the work that God began in them, would continue in and through their lives and would produce good fruit. Now Paul explains this fruit 
clearly in his letter to the Galatian church. He writes, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I put a picture of my dad up there a bit ago, and he pastored, I think, 11 different congregations over 55, 60 years in his career. And in one of those churches, and I can't remember which one, I think it was when I was in high school, um, people started wearing little buttons on their, on their lapels or their shirts. And I can't remember if our church created the buttons or whether people just found them somewhere else and started wearing them. It became, became kind of a fad, these little buttons. They were bright green buttons with these letters printed on them. That's what every button said. I'm sure you're going, uh, I can't pronounce that. What, is that. what language is that in? P-B-P-W-M-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. I don't even know if I said them all. But the point of it was that you can't read the word. And so people would wear these buttons, and people would, in the streets, and work, whatever, come up and say, uh, what's, that? what's that mean? And then they were supposed to explain. And those letters stand for, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. So Paul is praying for the Philippians. And Paul is praying, I believe, for us through God's word. That the work that God began in them 2,000 years ago, little church in a place called Philippi, what God began here in us, and what God began in each one of us individually, will will continue. He's praying that God will continue to do the work he began and that he promises to finish. And that our love would continue to grow and grow, that we would discern what is best. All of that because God is not finished with you yet. And God is not finished with us yet. You bow with me as we close today. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this prayer prayed by the Apostle Paul, prayed for a church and a people in many ways so different from us, but also very much like us. So we thank you that we can have the same confidence that the work you began in each one of us and the work you're doing in this, your church, will continue and that you promise to finish that work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before the benediction, let me remind you uh, to stop by if you're interested in the Royal Family Kids Camp Ministry. The kiosk is out in the lobby. There are some purple balloons there as well. And thank you so much for your ongoing generosity that makes ministries like RFKC possible. Receive now today's benediction. May we go now in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and may he who began a good work in us carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Have a great day.